0: kick is live it is thursday night october 27th year are lord 2022 brought to you by academy sports and outdoors the times they are changing bob dylan once saying that singing about college football and recruiting the entire time unbeknownst to all of us we are jam-packed we are high atop a festive and kind of stunned downtown nashville tennessee big recruiting news in obviously the recruiting world in the last hour i'm going to talk about that tonight yes i will have a few thoughts we have got upset alerts to talk about. I've got four games that I've got my eye on, and I'm going to at least somewhat suggest you should keep your eye on. I'm going to talk about Georgia-Florida. We did not do it Tuesday for a very specific reason. I will discuss in a few moments. we got a huge mailbag, as promised. I'm diving deep into the mailbag tonight, and you guys are taking us all over the place. We've got some really, really good questions. I've got an added best bet for you. They're watching us in Jellico Creek, Tennessee. I'm told they're tuned in every night. Angelico Creek, JC to you and I. Topeka, Kansas. I'll be there tomorrow, actually. They're tuned in. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. San Angelo, Texas. We are getting ever closer to 150,000 subs on this channel. We're probably going to hit 140 this weekend. Uh, We're getting there faster than anticipated. Don't let up. Do not relent. And I'm talking to you guys who just listened to the podcast, too. Keep doing everything you're doing do not change a thing. I was talking to management earlier today. I said, what do you think we should do? They said, don't change a thing. Don't Please don't change a thing. Keep doing what you're doing. Subscribe. That's all I need you guys to do on the YouTube channel and in the podcast feed, Spotify, Apple, I don't care. Subscribe and you have done your due diligence. Maybe go buy something from Academy. Other than that, thank you guys. That's all I need. And we are, once we get to 150, going to have a little party of some kind around here. You're going to get something and it's up to you to decide because I'm no good at coming up with that stuff. So I will be relying on you. Let's talk upsets this week. It's week nine already. I saw the Colin, Jesse, I don't know if I told you guys this. I saw the college football playoff Twitter account put the little hourglass emoji out earlier today and or yesterday and they said 75 days Till the national championship game. That means 76 days until the season's over. Who in the world wants to celebrate that? Couldn't be us. We are a regular season show around here. Colin, here's your endpoint. Upset alerts. We got four games to look at in week nine of this college football season, Ohio State, Penn State. Now, if you want our full game breakdown and preview and prediction and pick on this game, it's already on the channel. We did it Tuesday night. Uh, we took Penn State to cover. We took Ohio State to win. But this segment's about scale of one to 10. How concerned should the favorite be, what level is the upset alert meter peaking at? I got this one at a five. Fair enough. This is a very, very tough place to go, even at noon Eastern time, big noon kickoff. We're fans around here. They're not all that happy about it in, ironically enough, Happy Valley. They want this to be a night game, and I get why, but we can't control that. And frankly, we can't control what happens in the game either, but we're going to talk about it anyway. As I said the other night, How would the upset happen here, and why do I have this at a five? Well, number one, it's certainly the toughest overall test that I think Ohio State's had this year. They're well-equipped for it, but that doesn't change the fact that it's the toughest. If you could flip their red zone dominance, not for the season. Ohio State's going to continue to be good in the red zone, but if you could just flip it in one game. And as I said the other night, if you could really bait them into going for it on fourth down, which they are apt to do because they're perfect on the season. They, along with Georgia, percentage-wise, best teams in the country, on fourth down conversion rate. Stuff can happen. Crazy things can happen in this game over a four-quarter span or over a a two-quarter span if you get it into the second half. And I'm not saying I'm predicting that. You heard my pick on this game the other night. But I've been wrong a time or two. And if I am wrong here, that's probably why it would happen. I would also say that Sean Clifford needs to have a career day throwing against the Ohio State secondary, and crowd, as I mentioned, needs to be a factor. And because of those not being totally out of the realm of possibility, give me a five, a five on the upset alert meter here. But if they go in there and they blow Penn State out, I do want to go ahead and lay the groundwork for Sunday night show. We're either going to have a, ooh, Ohio State looks vulnerable segment, in which I will probably sarcastically present it, or we will have a, what does the future hold for James Franklin at Penn State? Now it would be, it would be way worse if they would have lost to Minnesota. So I still think there would be a fair amount of noise, but not nearly to the degree if he would have lost last week. So we'll save that for Sunday night. What about Oregon and Cal? I just saw the Ducks last week. Very impressive team, ultra impressive team. They have that, that small tidbit of a 49-3 loss in week one. If you can look past such things, then otherwise it's spotless, a spotless record. They're going to Cal Saturday. Not the most hostile of environments. It's not the most hostile environment in that portion of California, for that matter. So it's certainly not the road dynamic and, and the opposing stadium dynamic that I think could trip them up if it does. But I'm still going to put a four on this game. It's just the spot. That program's getting a lot of praise this week. That team has got some young guys on it still getting a lot of praise. That coaching staff is new. They're getting a lot of praise. Now, I've got full confidence in them. But at the same time, we did take Cal plus the points, which is 17 and a half, by the way. We did take Cal at plus 17 and a half. It's 17 now. Because I just think it's the kind of game where history shows us Oregon wins after messing around for a little while happens to every team happens to teams that eventually go on and win the title they get in these spots where you're coming off a really really big win and you're being celebrated and you're going on the road and and you also know good and well if you're an oregon fan your attention is on washington and your attention is on utah and both of those games are at least two weeks away no one's national attention is really on this game so i still expect oregon to win but i'm going to put the upset alert at four only because this is a new everything at Oregon. And so we don't have an established track record of watching what this version of Oregon does in these spots. And so we start to establish that track record, obviously, this week. So let's keep an eye on them. It's a four. think Oregon's going to take care of business. I do think it may be a little closer at the final gun than a lot of folks expect. That's why we're taking those points with Cal. Uh, Kentucky-Tennessee is also a game we broke down the other night. The individual breakdown videos on the channel. I'm putting this one at a five. Take no chances. Uh, Hey, look, even even the mysterious liquid in the chalice is not orange tonight. So even we're looking away from Knoxville. We're looking at Manhattan, Kansas. Yeah, I just had had mysterious purple liquid in the building. So there you go. We're ready for our trip to uh, Kansas tomorrow. But in the meantime or I guess at the same time, Kentucky's going to Neyland Stadium. My thoughts have been made very clear on this game. I think Tennessee's going to win. think it will also be a little bit more of a struggle. I don't think that they're going to run away and hide from Kentucky. Uh, there is that glaring mismatch of stats, or mismatch, I guess is what I should say, because Tennessee runs about the fifth most plays per minute in the country, and Kentucky runs the fewest plays per minute in the country. So it's that great question of whose style kind of takes over early. But Cedric Tillman's expected back in this game. That's a good thing. A week before the Georgia game. Speaking of the Georgia game, the reason this line's not above two touchdowns is because the Georgia game is next week. Make no mistake about it. And it really, I think, could still float up. Just depends on where that money comes in late Friday, early Saturday. But Tennessee at home, the way they've been playing is two touchdowns better than Kentucky. When you consider the future scheduling dynamic of Georgia being on deck, that's why that comes down to 12 a little bit. And that's really where your hope is. Now, here's the other thing. Jesse and I were pouring over some stats earlier. And by that, I mean he was pouring over them and I was listening halfway. He said, you know, Kentucky's got the 14th best pass defense in the country. Naturally, I said what all of you say about Ohio State being rated number one. Who have they played, Jesse? I mean, who have they played? And the truth is, they haven't faced a passing attack nearly to the degree that Tennessee features. Who has? Hoomst has. But at the same time, it's nice. It's a reputable number. Number 14, I think Tennessee's going to be able to throw the ball on them. And I think you're going to find that if you're a top five passing defense, that's one thing. But, boy, there's the freeze point, you know. We talk about the freeze point all the time. And if you don't meet it, and I don't think Kentucky secondary meets it, and I don't think they're going to necessarily harass Hendon Hooker all day with their pass rush. I don't think that you're going to be able to stand up for four quarters against them. Could be wrong. Don't think I am. However, I'm still putting a five on that just in case, just to make sure everyone knows if Josh Heupel was not taking that game seriously, he absolutely will be after he watches the show tonight. Michigan State, Michigan. I think it's going to be a Sarah McLaughlin special. I put this at a two. I got a buddy who's a big Michigan fan and he's trying to do the reverse psychology thing on me. He knowing I have a show that a fair amount of people tune into, wants me to put about a five or a six on this. He wants me to sound the upset alert alarm, and I'm not going to do it because Michigan State's not going to upset Michigan. And I'm sure that'll find its way into some bulletin board or hype video. That's fine. I've got really good reason to feel that way, and I'm going to tell you why. Michigan runs the ball for about a quarter mile per game, and Michigan State's run defense is next to last in the Big Ten. They are 78th nationally. And here's the thing about that. When you can run the ball, you can do it every week. And when you can't stop the run, you don't stop it any week, especially when you go up against a really, really good run game. And if you'll remember, if you'll recall very recently, there was a notable game played in Ann Arbor. It was against Penn State. Did you notice what happened when they couldn't stop the run early? And then they couldn't stop the run in the middle of the game. And then they finished the game by also not being able to stop the run. You don't magically find the ingredients to stop that from bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. And therefore, I don't think there's a lot of guesswork in this game. I was at this game last year in East Lansing. It was one of the great uh, experiences that we had all year. It was a great come from behind win for Michigan State. Kenneth Walker had five touchdowns that day. And so it was Michigan State on the ground that ended up taking the game. I think a team will end up taking over this game on the ground, too. I just don't think it'll be the Spartans. I think it'll be the Wolverines. And for that reason, did I put a two and a half? I'm going to go lower. Let me put a two on this. The line is right now 22 and a half. Michigan's favorite at home by 22 and a half. It's a night game. And here's the other thing. Like, if you're trying to find the path, trust me, I did. I couldn't. They have got Michigan's full attention. So you can sell me on this being Michigan State Super Bowl or coming off a bye week, and all that's true. That's great. I'm just not of the opinion that it's going to matter. Um, they'll, they'll weather an early storm. Uh, they'll have a lot of fire, a lot of, a lot of passion on that Michigan State sideline. I don't, I don't ever claim those guys doubt that. I just don't think they're a good enough team this year. And I think Michigan's going to look to make a, make a statement there and, and prove a point, and it will be proved emphatically, and that upset's not happening. Okay. Upsets. In college football, really, they're a mandatory part of your Saturday viewing experience. You don't ever have to be upset if you need stuff in your life, though, because of these two television screens here, conveniently located over my right shoulder. And that is because Academy Sports and Outdoors are our best friend. I say are because it's not just me. It's not management. It's not Colin and Jesse. It's not the production executives. It's you. You are why they're here. Because if I were just shouting into thin air, no one would want to partner with this show. But because you guys are here, they do. And because of your loyalty, they come back and come back and come back. And really, I don't know of many partnerships out there where, because of the interaction with the audience, I just kind of skip over the ad agency and I just, I just text them directly. I just talk back and forth with the academy reps directly. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who they root for because it would probably alienate certain markets, but big college football fans, those folks at academy and you are too, and I know you need the tents, and I know you need the grills, and if you're killing time, you may even need an actual football or two to throw around the tailgate, Academy Sports and Outdoors, they got you hooked up. That's the place to be. If you can't get there in person, as you well know and could probably repeat after me by this point, academy.com. They are our only partner, and that's for a reason, because they take care of our every need. They put a roof over our head, they put food in our bellies, they put lights on in the studio, and they can fulfill all of your outdoor sporting goods needs and beyond. Academy Sports and Outdoors, thank you, thank you, thank you to them always and to you guys for making that possible. I had a question. I had a number of questions, actually. We're going to get to a whole bunch of them. I'm going to talk about Cormani McLean in just a second, too, because a big bombshell went off in recruiting less than an hour ago. And trust me when I say everyone was stunned. Well, almost everyone. In fact, it turns out the further south in Florida, you get the less shocked they were, but I'll talk about that in a second. In the meantime, let's take a look at this. Let me, let me take a sip of my Kansas State purple liquid here. Hmm. Do we theme the liquid for every destination? That's a dangerous precedent to set. Okay, so let's, let's go to Dan's question. Dan asked about my thoughts on the Georgia-Florida game this Saturday. A whole lot of you hit me up about this game this week. And I know why, because we didn't do a preview video of it Tuesday. Well, you know the rule around here. When we've got a big enough point spread, I ask a very simple question. Do I think the upset is in the cards? And if it is, then we spend the majority of the preview video just painting the scenario of how the upset would happen. And I, even though we're looking at a game here where the Gators are the biggest point spread underdog since like the late 70s, Sometimes I can find a path. I really couldn't find a path for Florida. But you know what? I'll entertain you anyway with this. Because I will tell you how it would happen if it did happen. I just, I got a really hard time seeing this one. There's an ultra weird dynamic in place that if you're a Utah fan, you probably hadn't paid much attention to. People around the South aren't paying much attention to this game this week. Everybody's attention is on next week. When not only Bama goes to LSU, but Tennessee goes to Georgia and around Georgia fans, and trust me, I'm around a lot of them, if not geographically, electronically on the iJosh, I probably got a 10 to 1 ratio of questions from them this week about Tennessee in relation to Florida. They think they got Florida figured out. And I'm not mad at them. I know why they feel that way. I know why the line on this game is 22 and a half. It's the same number Michigan is favored by against Michigan State. The dynamic is also kind of interesting because as of today, you know, when I was trying to feel out the temperature around both programs, I got Georgia folks focused on Tennessee. I had Florida folks focused on Carmine McLean, and that turned out to be a disaster for the Florida folks, so maybe the upset will salvage things this Saturday. Here's the case. If Florida pulls the upset, you can present me your scenario in the comment section, but if it happens, if the Georgia offense is not consistent early enough, and you give the Florida ground game time to start converting some first downs. And they do have that capability. And that is their, really their main shot in this game is to start generating more success on the ground than Georgia does and more success on the ground than anyone expected. Yeah, okay, I could see that. And the other thing is if Anthony Richardson plays out of his mind on third down to match what Georgia offensively does on third down and fourth down for that matter, yeah, okay. I can easily see you getting into the second half. I can see you getting late third quarter and we're looking around and we're saying, wow, Georgia hasn't pulled away yet. Sure, You can see that. But Florida's defense, I, I tried to find a path. I did. I know Georgia played Missouri close a few weeks ago, so it's not out of the realm of possibility we could see it. But matchup-wise, I don't like it for Florida. I really don't like it. The Vegas number, as I said, is 22 and a half. Our model's even fatter than that. Uh, I think we've got it, actually. We've got Georgia favored by 25 on our model. Now, look, if you're a Florida fan, here's what I'd be telling myself right now. Isn't that the same model that had Texas in the top 10 last week? Yes, it is. So if things go sideways for Georgia, uh, that will be the protocol around here. We will blame the model. We will not blame ourselves. But we got Georgia winning. We got Georgia covering. And even though I could see scenarios where this is competitive at halftime, I don't think you got a four-quarter shot down there. And so I'm going to take Georgia to win. I think they're going to cover, and I think they're going to look as good as they've looked all year. And that's going to give folks a ton of confidence. And it's going to be really interesting because you're playing a team in Florida that stylistically is nothing like the team that you're going to play next week. And I could, here's what I could easily see. I can see Georgia winning this thing like 36 to 10. And they shut down the run, and Florida can't really throw the ball all that well. And then you get really, really overconfident, and someone goes and bets their entire life savings on Georgia minus less than two touchdowns against Tennessee, and then Tennessee's throwing the ball 17 times in the first quarter. I could see that happening. So it's going to be a fun two weeks either way. Okay. It has been an explosive uh, past hour and a half real time. And you're going to have to forgive me for this, but I got a really important text that relates to the segment we're about to do. Okay. (laughs) I wish I could read what I just got, but I can't. Uh, I always appreciate when coaches text us while we're on the air. Really appreciate it. And that just happened now. Okay. Big recruiting news. Cormani McLean, the number one corner in the country, committed to Florida. No, he did not. No, he did not. I'm hearing it's actually Miami for Cormani McLean. What I just did was a semi-dramatic reenactment of what it was like at 24-7 Sports Headquarters, CBS Sports Headquarters, um, pretty much every Florida message board from coast to coast, and half the Miami message boards. No one really saw this coming. Or did they? Certainly inside our four walls here, you know what? We, we're, we're wealthier than that. We've got more than four walls around here. we got like five or six of them. Sort of a, a hexagonish office at this point. No one saw this coming. So everyone was taken off guard by this. Now, I know that immediately everyone wants to resort to, well, he got bought. Oh, yep, bag must have dropped. Hey, uh, yeah, basically. Do you understand what era we're living in? Do you understand how this game's played now? So I got a few thoughts on this because I fielded some, some drastically different text messages in tone over the last hour. Had some coaches reaching out. Had a ton of fans reaching out. And some people in our industry reaching out. And I'm just going to repeat what I've repeated a thousand times. This is just a thousand and one. Recruiting is not for the faint of heart. If you want to wait and feast on backup options, that's cool. But if you're going to recruit at the highest level, it's a knife fight. Just because you don't see the headlines every day, it's a knife fight. It always has been. There are just new elements that have entered the room now that you have to deal with. But it's, it's always been something that if you're squeamish and you live and die with each recruitment, this is not for you. You need to take A nap? You need to stick with the the on-the-field play on Saturday and just come around on signing day and see where your team finished and see who they signed. This is not for you. Now, if you can stomach it, then this was a pretty entertaining roller coaster. Certainly not entertaining for our Florida fans, but this was an entertaining roller coaster. Now, firstly, what does this mean in the team rankings? This puts Miami at number eight overall nationally. Uh, This is in terms of a late move, not a shock. Mario Cristobal and those guys are going to do this. They are going to recruit at a high level. There is zero doubt. There never should have been any doubt. So if I told you that someone was going to sneak in the back door and take a kid from the perceived leader by virtually everyone, which was Florida, it was going to be Miami. That's not a surprise. I don't think Alabama was a factor in this really late, um, but I, I think, as you can see, Mario Cristobal and Miami were. So here's what's always fun. I was on the phone with Wilt Fong right before I went on air and I said, Stephen, he said, Joshua, I said, when do you think this thing was decided? And here's me assuming that Miami must have swooped in last minute on Cormani McLean, because, I mean, it was assumed by everyone. He's going to Florida. And Steve said, I'm not so sure it happened last minute. I think we had some bad intel, but I think the folks inside the Miami complex knew when they woke up this morning where Cormani McLean was going and the more I have poked around on this ijosh over the last 30 or so minutes I think that's true uh, first off hat tip to Steve Wilfong for saying yeah we kind of whiffed on that one it happens uh, you are not doing this job the right way if you don't occasionally go out on a limb especially when you got intel it's not a coincidence everyone was on Florida because that's what the intel was suggesting It's just another hat tip, a bigger hat tip to Mario Cristobal and his staff because they they had their ducks in a row, they had a game plan, they executed it, they got their target, one of the top targets in the country, kept a kid in state, and no one knew. Now, that sucks for us because we always want to know, but no one knew. (sighs) I know this is upsetting to a Florida Gator fan. And I also know um, because when I'm talking about coaches texting me, It ain't Miami and Florida coaches. It's just innocent bystanders. And there are a lot of coaches out there who watch this, and you feel kind of helpless because you're looking around in the NIL era, and you're saying, well, what if I do all the right things recruiting a kid, and then someone just comes in at the last minute, and they just swoop in, and they drop a check bigger than I can drop? This is general commentary. I cannot give you specifics or details on what happened with Cormine McLean. I don't follow recruiting at that level. That's that's other jobs around here. But what I would say is suck it up. That's what I would say. This is the era you're in. This is the world you're in. So you got a few choices now. You You can either match bags with the big boys. You can get more creative or find other ways to sell your program. Or you can sit around and wait till they've made their moves. And you can choose door number three, it's probably just not realistic to compete with those other teams if you're continually choosing door number three. My, my feedback is you got to suck it up. I know it's not fun, and, and I certainly know that's not the way recruiting has worked. That's the world now. That's, that's where we're living now. Uh, am I thrilled about it? No. I, I, I don't particularly love this. It has nothing to do with any one kid or any one program. Uh, yeah, I, I would p- greatly prefer the way it used to work, which leads me to my next point that we're going to touch on later in the show. I can promise you someone just heard me say something I didn't say. Guarantee it. D- absolute 100% money-back guarantee. Someone just heard me say, no one ever paid kids to go to school before. I, Jesse, I guarantee someone just heard me say that, and I didn't say it. But it'll be out there anyway. So, Cormani McLean to Miami. Huge pickup for Miami. I encourage you, go to 247sports.com. Check out Steve Wilfong's story, because he talked to Mario right after this happened and got him on the record. And by the way, 48 hours before a big game. They're playing Virginia, I think, this week. That's not the easiest thing to do. So Stephen on working the phones tonight. I'm always fascinated by this stuff. Just always fascinated. Early signing day is still two months away. A little under two months away. Let's dive back into the mailbag. We got some really, really good Q&A submissions, and I want to take time on a few of them, and I want you to listen to these. This is the talk of college football right now. Josh professional hater, as he calls himself, asks, are we going to see a mass exodus of the 2021 Texas A&M recruiting class after this season? He checks in from College Station, Texas. Now I want you to really buckle up. You think recruiting is not for the faint of heart. The transfer portal is even less for the faint of heart. At least in recruiting, you didn't get yourself attached to the kid. You didn't watch him wear your jersey. Whereas in transfer portal, chaos scenarios, you did. I'm going to try and responsibly say this and not reveal any more information than I'm supposed to. Let me take a sip of purple drink here. Drink with an I, not drink with an A. As you know, I'm in a different town every week. I usually meet with the coaching staff when I'm there. And that counts opposing uh, coaching staffs, too. I get to interact with a lot of coaches. Love that interaction. It's one of the... the big motivators for being able to get out on the road, especially when we couldn't do it for two years for, because of COVID. I can tell you this definitively, there is one message that I'm getting from assistant coaches and head coaches and player personnels and director of football operations folks more than any other message. And that is, we think this upcoming transfer portal cycle is going to be unlike anything you've ever seen. Every one of them says it independently. They all expect complete and utter chaos in the transfer portal after the season's over. They're all planning on it. They're all figuring out their numbers situation. They're all trying to best gauge what kind of hold they have with guys on their roster, but they are ready for complete and total chaos and anarchy. And that's coming. So the question was about A&M. Yeah, I expect several pieces of that true freshman class to enter the portal, but I expect it at a lot of places, guys. I mean, I cannot tell you how definitively this is being told to me by several head coaches. In the past 24 hours, several head coaches have said this. F- I'll go a step further. There are folks in the world of getting coaches hired and taking care of coaches when they're fired, in the agent world that know this is coming so much that they're being engaged about getting their clients' jobs in time to secure maybe a mass trespass for portal exodus from not happening as well as getting early signing day locked down. It is total chaos behind the scenes right now. And you wouldn't know it because there are games going on on Saturday. So that's fun for you and I to watch behind the scenes, like behind the curtain over here, getting ready for the second act. It's a mad dash and no one's dressed and everyone's forgotten their lines and half his makeup's not even on yet. Oh, Transfer portal season is going to be wild. So yes, I think that Texas a and could very well deal with that. Now, I know a lot more focus is on a and because you've got multiple members of that true freshman class suspended. Some of them in the news. You've got a losing record. By the way, that game this weekend with Ole Miss going to Texas A&M, I want you to pay close attention to it. I'm going to repeat what we said the other night. That's a really important game. No, it doesn't have playoff implications on it, at least for the home team. And I'm not really so much talking about Ole Miss here. I'm talking about for A&M. We picked them to cover and win because I have a – a sneaking suspicion, or you could maybe even call it a hope, as far as a and goes, that there's enough pride in that locker room. I mean, there are enough guys who want to be there for that logo on their helmet. Yes, I know that's a bygone concept. Yes, I know I get mocked and ridiculed. When I dare suggest that some guys play for passion and love of that particular school, that's such a 1970s ideology. No, no, there are plenty of guys on that roster who take immense pride and playing for that Aggie logo there, they got to win the game Saturday. That's got to be their locker room. So pay attention to that, because if it doesn't go their way, and Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss go in there, and not only win, but especially if they win by double digits in College Station, it's, it's already not fun out there. I'm just saying that will signify something different, and I think we all understand what I'm talking about, and that's not a comfortable conversation that I feel like having tonight. So... Here's what I wanted to get back around to before we move on. It is so exhausting to talk about NIL, and it's so exhausting to talk about the transfer portal, and it's not because I say the same stuff over and over again. I do that all the time. Made a living doing that. No, it gets exhausting because as I said the other day, following the Tuesday show, nothing makes people hear what you didn't say more than when you're talking about NIL or the transfer portal. There's this little small army of white knights out there that claim they're riding with the player's flag hoisted above their horse. And they're out there for the best interest of the player and they're fighting for player's rights. And it really doesn't... If you come anywhere remotely close to the same galaxy as making a comment about NIL or the portal, they just say, Oh, 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 you're you're blaming the kids? Is that what you're doing? No, I'm not doing that. Uh, What I did the other night was the equivalent of saying... I think we may have a problem. Oh, so you want to fire the nukes? No, no, I think there are about 14 or 15 preventative measures we could take before we hit the nuclear option. You need to calm down. I'll go Taylor Swift on you if I need to. You just, you need to take a breath or two. But they can't. Because they, they really have a more ideological position and they're just, they're just looking for confrontation. So here's what I didn't say the other night. I didn't say it was the kid's fault when they get tired after their freshman year and they want to transfer, or I didn't say it was exclusively their fault. I didn't say it's totally not Jimbo's fault at College Station and Texas A&M when they're having problems. He's, he's immune to criticism. I didn't say that. I didn't say that money has never changed hands before and it only just now became an issue. I didn't say any of these things. And the reason why I just beat the desk inherently is because even as I speak, Someone, not someone with 37 followers either, I mean people who should know better, will take clips, miscontextualized, from this very program of ours, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, and they will present it as such. I watch it happen all the time. It's pathetic. So, yes, uh, to to go back to the main point I wanted to deliver to you, transfer portal's about to be wild. Just get ready. Teams next year may look nothing like they look right now. You would have like 30 or 40% of a roster overturned. Just like that. Next question, please. Yes, please, please, please. I'm already tired of talking about that. We're talking about threats here. Braden asked, what is the biggest threat to the stability of college football? Is it NIL? I dare you, Braden. Is it playoff expansion? Is it conference realignment? So I'm going to go a couple of directions here. I'm not going to bore you with the same take I've got on the playoff, because I know a lot of you think otherwise, and you just probably hit the fast forward button at this point when I talk about playoff. I know my audience. I'm I'm sharp enough to see those metrics. Is this the football business? Is that what we're in? If you coach, if you're the head coach at Tennessee, if you're Josh Heupel, are you in the football coaching business? Because I would argue you're not. Am I sitting behind this microphone? Am I in the football talking business? I would argue I'm not. Uh, Josh Heupel and I, in this case, are in the same business. We are in the entertainment business. And that doesn't need to get lost. I don't, I don't have it lost on me because, I mean, I'm, I live in the entertainment world, but sometimes I think football coaches have it lost on them because they think of themselves as coaches, first and foremost. But here's the thing. We got lacrosse coaches out there, and they don't make any more than anyone watching this show does. We got baseball coaches out there. Some of them can't even be retained as full-time employees. Well, they're coaching, just like you're coaching. Why in the world are you making... Uh, well, a thousand times what they make. It's because you're in the entertainment business as well. And that industry has dictated that those sports over there are some quirky little indie movies. They may be good, maybe good plot lines, maybe superb acting, but you are the Marvel franchise. And for whatever reason, people have decided that they really, really love your stuff. They love what you're associated with. That's why I don't talk baseball on the show. I love baseball but there is, candidly, very little money in talking about college baseball. There is, conversely, massive scalability and profitability in talking about college football. So I say that to tee up what I'm about to tell you is the biggest threat to the sport. We're in the entertainment industry. College football is an entertainment product no different than a movie, but that's the good news and the bad news. You see, the good news is this is the greatest sport on earth. I firmly believe that. We have a unique combination of things in our sport, in our form of entertainment here, that do not exist anywhere else. movie can make you cry. Another movie can, can get your adrenaline going. I will never forget what it was like the first time I saw Gone in 60 Seconds, which is, I will contend, one of the great films of the 2000s. And I remember that it made me feel a certain way. I remember Old Yeller made me feel a certain way that I never want to feel again. That's why I've never watched it again. But there is nothing quite like college football that can make you feel about 10 of those things over the span of three hours. And it is a very entertaining product. That's the good news. The bad news is also everything I just said. Because it turns out the good news is also the bad news. Because we couldn't hide it forever. We couldn't hide it forever. Eventually, people realized how profitable it is if marketed the right way. Dirty words, we didn't really want associated with the game all that much. If it was marketed, if it was harnessed, and if it was reconfigured, dare I say, in a lot of ways, if it were professionalized and streamlined like the more sophisticated Sunday crowd, well, they got their hands on it. Some of you support it, and that's, that's your prerogative. I don't necessarily ride with you on that, but that was the risk. Okay, In my opinion, now I'm the one with the microphone, they asked me, so you can all have your opinions on this. But it was my opinion that, and it is still my opinion, that there's this saturation point. It's a really inexact science here, but it's just like your favorite restaurant. When it first opens and you and a few hundred people know about it, and it has that authenticity. But at the same time, if the chef tells you, boy, we need to get some business in here, you go and you tell a few friends, don't you? Because you gotta, you got to keep Pete open. you got to keep those street tacos coming. These things are great. So we need to get enough foot traffic in the door to sustain. But what do we not want? We don't want a line, two blocks wrapped around this place. Because number one, I can't get in anymore. And then he's going to franchise it. And then it's going gonna, it's gonna to lose its charm. It's going to lose what I loved about it. Pete, don't do it. And then Pete looks back at you and says, ESPN says I have to, Fox says I have to, CBS says I have to, and you go, Pete, I hate it, but I'd probably do the same thing. And therein lies the great threat. What's the saturation point? In other words, what was the point at which this sport needed to stop making moves to grow before it sacrificed a critical mass of its integrity and appeal? Uh, To me, now you know my thoughts on this, it is happening right now with conference realignment. I mean, I don't exactly see a lot of charm in UCLA playing Rutgers in a conference game. Okay, there's not a lot of charm in that for me, but I get why it happened. And there's not a lot of charm for me in seeing games like Georgia-Tennessee start to shape up or seeing Ohio State and Michigan coming at us and knowing all the while in the back of my mind Those games are merely going to be for seeding. doesn't matter who wins or loses. All we'll find out is who's going to be seeded higher in the playoff. That is not the charm that I've come to love about the urgency and the zero safety net approach of the college football regular season. But that's where we're headed, okay? So here's what could happen. Because ultimately, like I said, we're in the entertainment business, right? So as long as the people are coming to the product, it's not... It's not threatened, it's not endangered. Sure, it may lose some things that I loved about it, maybe it loses some things that you loved about it, but as long as people are coming, as long as you've got a return on the immense investment that's being made in this sport, you can't call it a failure. At least financially, you can. not I think the other biggest threat is, what if we get to a point where the powers that be realize the juice was not worth the squeeze? Translation what if people like me end up being a little more right than we are wrong? Because there are tons of people out there that just think I'm dead wrong about this, and I'll see eventually, you know, when we expand the playoff, people like me will find out that, no, 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 it doesn't detract from the regular season. It just adds value to it. Of course, my contention is you cannot increase the amount of anything and maintain the value of it. It's the rule of scarcity. And I don't think that that is something that's being reinvented when it comes to college football. I just think instead of, Having those do-or-die games, those no-safety-net games, you don't have those anymore. You are going to add some consequence on games. Yeah, there are going to be some games that end up meaning a little bit more as it relates to the playoff that never would have before. I just think instead of having some spike 9 or 10 games on the 1 to 10 urgency scale, we're going to give those up entirely in the regular season, and we'll have a few more 6s and 7s. Featuring teams that do not stand much of a chance of winning a title anyway, your mind will be reconditioned to understand that in due time. And so here's the big threat. Your sport becomes a tournament sport. College football becoming a tournament sport is the biggest threat to college football. College football, when you think of the NFL, you probably think of postseason Super Bowl, like those are the images that pop in your mind. When you think of college basketball, you think of the NCAA tournament March Madness. When you think of college football, you think of Saturdays in the fall. And the fundamental threat to this sport is if in 20 years that's not what you think anymore you think about glendale arizona or arlington texas or uh, miami florida and you think of soulless nfl venues and you think of semi-final playoff games and national championship games and that's where the sport begins for you because that's not college football that's not a remote piece of the charm of it that's not the romanticism of it and so again I know, sometimes it makes me sound 90 years old hanging on to something, but there are some things worth hanging on to, you know? Because once they leave, you don't get them back. seen it happen with many a sport. There's a reason I don't watch pro wrestling anymore. There's a reason I don't watch NASCAR anymore. This happened to those things. I gave them a chance. I loved them at one point. I don't anymore. I checked out. I didn't leave them. They left me. So that's my spiel on that. I'll say that at least a dozen more times before 2025. They're watching us in Beaumont, Texas. They're watching us either in or on Mount Rainier, Washington. And they're watching us in Tupelo, Mississippi. Probably on the Blues Highway. Remember, if you will, to like the video and subscribe to the channel. And that concludes my request from you. Thank you so much. I got a really interesting question here, and I'm going to reveal a secret tonight. This is from Savannah, Georgia, okay? Max from Savannah, Georgia, he said, you mentioned that you manually had to bring down Tennessee in the preseason JP poll. Now that we know they're for real, the question has to be asked, how far did you manually bring Tennessee down, and what was your thought process? I did say this in the preseason, and I shouldn't have, because people have asked me a trillion times about it since then. And as I was revealing the preseason JP poll, which is just power ratings, I showed you where Tennessee was. We had them 15th. J.P. Poll had them 15th in week one. And as I showed you Tennessee at 15, because we're live and I couldn't have Colin edit it out, I kind of made a remark in passing, hey, that's where I had to bump them down to. You should have seen where the model had Tennessee. And then I kept right on going. Well, you guys hear every word that is said on this show, and I appreciate that about you. But also I hate that about you because I got called out And I've been called out ever since. And now people want to know, well, what did you really have them? Well, I'm going to tell you tonight. JP poll, I bumped them down to 15. The AP poll had them not ranked at all in the preseason. But the model originally had Tennessee at number eight. So we're starting the season with an AP not ranked team. And the model saying, er, er, top 10, top 10. And I thought to myself, this is the last time I've done this. I thought to myself, I can put Tennessee in the mid-teens and still have it stand out. We're still going to be way higher than the AP, but it won't be so preposterous. It won't be so out of left field because frankly, <clears throat> I don't worry about this anymore. There's been a, a pretty radical change in my, in my concept on this in the past few months. I thought we were going to get accused of clickbait. Plain and simple, I did not put Tennessee in the top 10 in the preseason because I didn't feel like listening to accusations of clickbait. And yet, here they are. What are they right now? So they're top five, I think, or top six right now. So they're higher, even, than I would have had them in the preseason. So lesson learned there. I also want to reiterate, I was telling this story to someone the other day at lunch. When I first got here, I've told this a couple of times, I think, but we got a lot of new viewers. When I got here, there there was a guy named Lucas, who used to work here. I don't know what he's doing now. There was a guy named Lucas who used to sit right next to me. And I remember talking to him on my first day and this is when LSU had just blown up. It was right after that 2019 season. And so LSU traffic is through the roof. The go247.com traffic is through the roof and LSU football's flying high. And I remember he and I were talking about what the next version of that could be. Like what's the next fan base out there that's a sleeping giant? And we both kind of simultaneously said, it's Tennessee. Tennessee is the one because the fans never left. They struggled for a long time, but the fans never left. Now, if you are like me and you follow that stuff day to day, what you're seeing now is not a surprise. We can't, we, we could put out a video on our channel right now of me just coloring a picture of Neyland Stadium and you'd get 30,000 views. So it's not a surprise to us because I've seen that you never left. But I think a lot of the country especially the ones who sold Tennessee down the river, the same one that that goalpost is in now, I think a lot of folks who sold them down the river are surprised. Oh, wow, Tennessee fans still exist? Wow, They can still win there? Yeah, they can still win there. This is LSU 2019. I don't mean this team is as good as LSU 2019. I mean, in terms of an awakening of a fan base and a reintroduction of a brand on the national scale This is what LSU 2019 did with Joe Burrow and Ed Orgeron and all those folks. So I'm happy to see it because I knew it was possible the whole time. The other thing, on a somewhat lighter-hearted but equally a serious note, that is going to happen is a phenomenon that used to exist. If you're like 45 years old or older, uh, no, maybe like 35 or 40 and older, you're probably, especially if you're a Florida fan, Bama fan, or Georgia fan, it, really, anyone in the SEC who remembers when Tennessee used to be elite, there's a, there's a phenomenon around the SEC I like to call Rocky Top Rage, and it only can occur when Tennessee's good. Because only when Tennessee is good do they have a reason to play that song 37 to 98 times in a given Saturday. It's normally happening when they're doing things on the field. Now when Tennessee was an afterthought for a long time, aka the past 15 or so years, when Tennessee was not a threat to anyone in the SEC or the East even, and when they were struggling to make a bowl game, no one really cared about Rocky Top. All it did was evoke emotions of a generation gone by that hopefully, if you're an anti-Tennessee person, you'll never see again. Well, they're back. And I can tell you If you're a Florida fan, you went on the road with them this year, you already experienced it. If you're a Bama fan, you were in Neyland a couple of weeks ago, you already experienced it. There's this this PTSD that kind of gets associated with Rocky Top, the song. And the more they keep winning, the more you're going to hear it, and you're going to have to take a side, because no one is indifferent on Rocky Top in the SEC. They either love it, and they, woo, every time it gets played, or they feel like, find in the nearest cliff and hurling themselves off of it when they hear Rocky Top. And Rocky Top Rage is back. Now I'm in the business of entertainment and we feed off emotion of fan bases so I guess that's a good thing for Late Cake, but it is not a good thing for some of you. because Some of you cannot handle a five plus year sustained run of excellence in Knoxville, and we're only in year one here, but we'll see what happens. How about this next question? I like this one. Let's go out west. Alec asked, with Kenny Dillingham being hired as the OC at Oregon, when he got there, he made a comment along the lines that Oregon and Eugene is the closest thing to an SEC environment you find out west. Based off your visit, would you agree? Thank you from Phoenix, Arizona. It's kind of, I guess, unfair because I haven't literally been everywhere out west. I've got a feeling that Palo Alto, California doesn't quite equal Athens, GA. So I don't think I need to go everywhere. I don't probably think Boulder matches Baton Rouge. It's a guess. It looks very nice. It looks very scenic. I'd love to go there. But I was in Eugene last week, and I did specifically do a lot of radio hits in the South this week where I said, very much felt like an SEC atmosphere. Now here's what you immediately pick up on. When we go some places, the, the task is to manufacture passion, and it's such a chore. And it's so much easier if you got a place like Oregon where you don't have to worry about manufacturing passion. The people show up, the people are engaged, everyone knows their role, everyone does their job. And it doesn't really matter if the team's winning or not, they still, they're in, they're all in for you. And when you don't have to manufacture that, that's box one being checked. Box two, after you've got the passion part down, you've gotta have investment. Cause if we're talking about matching some of the big SEC and big 10 programs, you gotta have the passion but then you gotta have the investment. And all you need to know about that is Phil Knight. Uh, He built Nike, he built Oregon football to what you know it as today, and I think there are probably probably some things just around the corner up there that may blow your mind even more than what you currently see as the current iteration of Oregon football. Thirdly, it's gotta be attractive because the lifeblood of this sport is recruiting. And this, to me, is where outside of Southern Cal, of course, Oregon is able to separate above and beyond anyone else on the West Coast. There is a brand attraction with that O that's unique unto anything else outside of Los Angeles on the West Coast. And I was in their facility last week. I'll give you an example. So I ran into Triquez Bridges last week, who is a defensive back at Oregon. He played at Lynette High School. What, what part of Oregon is Lynette in? Oh, it's, oh, it's not in Oregon. Oh, is it, is it in California? Where is it? Is it in Arizona? No, it's in, it's in rural east-central Alabama. And Lynette is a very good program. Clifford Story has done big things down there. But it's a small school in Alabama. So track West Bridges is a perfect example of what I'm talking about here. Four-star defensive back, and you probably look at Alabama, you look at Georgia, you look at Auburn, you know, basically within driving distance of Lynette. And then Oregon's in the picture. And why is Oregon in the picture? Because kids who grew up in Lynette, Alabama, who are 18 or 19 years old, they know Oregon. They don't know anything, frankly and respectfully, about a lot of the other competition that Oregon has on the West Coast. Those schools don't even try to recruit nationally because of that. Oregon can afford to recruit nationally because they know, uh, because of that check mark they have on the side of everything they wear and everything they feature up there, they resonate. You leverage what you have. Uh, th- now, the, the downside is they got to fly 1,000 miles to go get a lot of that talent or more. But the plus side is the distance doesn't matter because it matters what attracts a kid and what attracts a kid they've got in abundance in Eugene, Oregon. So, yes, to answer your question, very much felt like an SEC program, a venue, a game day experience, etc. And it, I went up there for the first time. It will not be the last time. I got an interesting question here about Lane Kiffin. Mm. And so this, I'll just read it to you. This one's interesting. Seth asked, is Lane Kiffin a flight risk at any school not named Alabama from the Woodlands, Texas? Now, the insinuation here is if Kiffin had the Alabama job, he wouldn't be looking to go anywhere. But outside of him having the Bama job, do you always have to be worried about losing him? It's a complicated answer. And I've done some digging on this lately. So, Lane Kiffin wants the same thing every other coach wants. He wants to know that he has access to the resources he needs to win, to compete at the highest level. He wants the ability to compete. In other words, he wants to know that he has the ability to not be hamstrung by things that are outside of his control. Guys like Kiffin, the best in any walk of life, they believe that, If all things are equal or even close to equal, if you put put me on remotely stable and equal ground with my competition, I'll win because I'm that good. But what I can't do is I can't give them a 30-yard head start in the race because of things outside of my control and still be expected to win. And, candidly, if I'm Lane Kiffin, I'm thinking about myself, I'm good enough to have one of those top jobs. I'm good enough to be at a place where they do allocate those kinds of resources. Now, you've heard him make some comments over the past week about Texas A&M. It's not an accident, it's not a coincidence they're playing him this week either, but they asked him about D.J. Durkin this week. His former defensive coordinator, who's now in College Station, Texas, he said, paraphrasing, yeah, we wanted to keep him, we got outbid. That's a familiar theme with that program. And he's talking about recruiting, talking about NIL, talking about coaching salaries, you don't just magically get access to a, a blank checkbook by having an SEC head coaching job. Even in the SEC, you have levels, you have tiers. So Lane Kiffin knows the name of the game. And Lane Kiffin doesn't want anything more than any other coach wants. He wants to be able to compete at the highest level. He wants the resources necessary to compete at the highest level. And he doesn't want to wake up every morning knowing that someone else... Has already got a head start on him, due to things completely outside his control. And I'm not I, the, the thing I don't want to do is I don't want to single out Ole Miss here, because you could park Kiffin at North Carolina State, you could park him at South Carolina, you could park him at any of a number of places not named like Alabama and Ohio State, and it would probably be a version of the same question. And so you also have to really dig deep and understand the dynamics. For example, there could be a random program out there, uh, like like Oregon, for example, quite frankly, that has a a multi-billionaire donor and booster and alum who is so disproportionately invested in football, some of the other stuff doesn't matter. You'll always have what you need. I don't know that they have that at Ole Miss. Quite frankly, I don't know they have that at many places, but it's just right situation And then the other question, of course, if you're talking about any flight risk, is what's the market for him? Which is a question that gets asked a lot about Kiffin, um, because people people perceive him to have baggage. Uh, People people already have their opinion cast of him. No one's changing their mind on Lane Kiffin. Like, if I'm running Pate State, I want to win. I think the guy can help me win. I think he's very good at hiring a staff that complements what he does and who he is. So look, if I had an opening, I'd look hard at him, but I don't we're a fictitious program right now, so we don't have openings. But yeah, I guess to answer the question, yeah, to, to a certain extent, almost everyone's a flight risk. Yeah, so I'd keep an eye on that without any specific information, by the way. I want to make that clear, but yeah, I'd keep an eye on it. Uh, last question here before we get to best bets and then we get out of here. I, I guess I'll probably have something controversial to say here too. Pen and Pull asked, how concerning is it that networks are dictating to conferences the time windows for the biggest games? Some venues, Death Valley, Beaver Stadium, Kinnick Stadium, or are different atmospheres at night. Others are better during the daytime. How much does it hurt the product? From Northside, Chicago. There's merit to this. Okay? So what he's saying is you go back a couple of weeks and you look at Tennessee at LSU. Tennessee wins going away. It's an 11 a.m. local time kickoff in Baton Rouge. How much different would it possibly have been if it were a 7 p.m. local time kickoff? They've got Bama in there next week. Bama's, Bama's playing at night. So they, they, got, they got Tiger Stadium, Death Valley, Under the Lights, and all the trappings. So you'll, you'll get to see that next week. Penn State hosts Ohio State in about 36 hours. That game's kicking off at noon local time. How much different would Beaver Stadium look if it were a 7.30 kickoff? It would be whited out. We know that. So I I think some people scoff at this. It's mainly the folks who have never been there in person. A lot of people think a football game is a football game. Doesn't matter what time they kick it off, you should be able to get your team up. And all that's true. uh, But at the same time, it's not. If you're playing in front of 100 people, that's true. If you're playing in front of 100,000 people, it is a weapon. No, No more, no less. A home crowd that gets lathered up all day and then gets put in a very, very confined space, relatively speaking, uh, compared to the number, is a weapon. And you can best utilize that weapon the later in the day it gets. That's a fact. I stand on the sideline at the biggest games every week. It is different at night than it is during the day. Here's where my controversial stance comes in. I don't care as much because I like to get home. And so I relish the noon kickoff, the 11 a.m. central kickoff. I love it. And, candidly, I think a lot of these places do a plenty good enough job during the daytime. Now, my my favorite window is 330. I love the 330, because I think it's a little compromised. And what I love about the 330 window this time of year is you get the first part of the game during the day, and then you get to watch the sunset as part of the broadcast. You get to watch the sunset as part of the second half game experience. So you kind of, especially if you get into November, you got the time change, wretched time change. You get the best of both worlds. The networks do dictate this. We're the entertainment business. What did we just talk about a little while ago? If you were to pay billions of dollars for a media rights package, would you bat an eye if someone complained where you wanted to put your property? It's your property. You bought it. That's, that's the way it is. Uh, I, I am surprised that conferences, especially ones with options, don't find a way to be a little bit more agreeable and flexible and dynamic in deciding what time of day some of this airs, but it's also very complex. And you wanna see something really fun, watch the Big Ten. The Big Ten in the coming years, so they've got NBC, CBS, and Fox in the room. And uh, the best it's been explained to me the number one game on any given week, there's this lottery system kind of for it. So in other words, Fox may have the number one game one week and put it at noon. Um, CBS may have the number one game one week and they put it at 3.30 and you could have NBC have the number one game, they'd put it at 7.30. So you got three different networks with three different broadcast window priorities and that's going to be really fun for you guys to try and track. But it's, it's a necessary evil, I guess, is what I would call it. All right, let's talk about best bets. We've already got four of them on the board. I'm going to add another one tonight. And it's one that's familiar to us, and it's one that's been good to us. To remind you, the games we're already on. Texas A&M plus three. I don't think that number's available anymore. We like them to win outright, though. So take whatever number you can get. UAB, minus five. Iowa State, plus one. Cal, plus 17.5. Also like it at seventeen. And here's what we're adding. Fresno State, minus eight and a half. Bulldogs have been very good to us. Remember Friday Night Lines. Make sure you're following. You're losing value by the day if you're not following on Instagram. I give you a ton of behind-the-scenes access on Saturday. We got Friday Night Lines, at Late Kick Josh. Make sure you're following there. There's a lot there that you don't get on the show for obvious reasons, because I'm not live on Saturday. So make sure you're following there. I appreciate you guys so much. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel like the video. If you're in Manhattan, Kansas, for the first time ever, we will see you this Saturday with Academy gift cards in hand. So we'll take a lot of pictures. We'll hand out a lot of gift cards. And I bet you we see a really, really good game. And we'll be back here Sunday night, same time to talk about it all. Until then, for producer Jesse, director Colin, I'm Josh Bake. Take care. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games and God bless.